My agency was big into training. In the 90s, we would do firearms training once a month. That is unheard of in most police departments. Most police agencies are lucky if their officers get to qualify twice a year. Then, the range we used was closed down because local homeowners didn't like living next to a police range, even though it was there before they built their homes. Now my agency is struggling to get the necessary firearms training. To offset the loss, we started training with the FAT system. This virtual firearms training system used videos and a toy gun to simulate real-world events. It's a great system for training new officers at the academy, but for tenured officers, it gets old quick. Add to that the fact that we were trying to use this system six times a year, and the officers were over it. I remember a crusty old sergeant coming into the training room, looking at the FAT system and saying, I ain't talking to that damn screen. I answered, you have to talk to the screen. That's how I decide what buttons to push to make things happen. He replied, do what you want, but I ain't talking to that screen. He didn't say a word. I pushed the buttons, made the video progress, and he just stood there silently. When the man in the video displayed the gun, he pulled his training pistol and shot once, video over. He placed the gun on the table and walked out without saying a word. That was considered successful training. The real problem? That would be considered successful training in today's police departments. If we want real reform, it must start with training. It's time to start telling our own stories. I'm Steve Kellums, and welcome to Blue Canary. Training. We have talked about it several times on this show, and we're going to talk more about it today. Police reform is a hot-button topic today, with legislators all over the U.S. passing law enforcement bills and police reform bills in an effort to improve the professionalism of policing. But they are missing the mark. The bills are focusing on specific topics like chokeholds, which have been outlawed for decades, and de-escalation, which people struggle to define. Instead of specific topics, we need to reform the overall training concepts found in police departments across the country and get politicians and administrators focused on the real change, proper training. Let's start off by talking about why police departments struggle to provide proper training for their officers and staff. Ed Gephardt is the Chief of Police of the Fishers Police Department in Fishers, Indiana. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with him about training, and he didn't hold back when discussing some of the issues departments face when trying to train their people. And so what I think you dial into is maybe lack of funding, maybe lack of understanding, maybe lack of, of not having the, the political backing you need to have a program that sets itself aside. Whatever the reason is, you have to do the best you possibly can to make sure that your standards are in place before you release those people into solo patrol. Funding, understanding political backing. Anyone who has tried to set up training for their officers has run into those issues. The administration not understanding the need for the training. City Hall denying the training because they don't feel it's necessary or won't let the officers travel. And finally, funding. Funding affects training at so many levels. Major Nick Luce runs the Indiana University Police Academy and is responsible for providing training for the Indiana University Police Department, which is a statewide agency. Major Luce also addressed the funding issue, as well as a subtopic of funding, manpower. I think the most 
the obvious hurdle that pops up is, is obviously money in the budget and then man, manpower. I, I think that as we, we as a department have moved to 12 hour shifts, you know, that that's affected us just because when guys and gals are off, they want to go home and go to sleep. I get that. But I think those are the two biggest things that have challenged us and will continue to challenge us is, is the budget and the manpower, let alone right now, we all know that we're bleeding for positions that are vacant. So I think that uh, those are the two biggest issues that aren't going away, which pose the question, how can we get creative going forward, uh, especially with the push, the righteous push for scenario based training? I mean, that, that takes that takes a lot of time and effort and planning. And if we've got less uh, you know, budget for that and less manpower, it's going to be difficult. on us. So I think those are the two main issues that pose questions for departments and academies currently today. In my experience, manpower is the number one issue holding back training at police departments. Departments are staffed so thin that they don't have the manpower to let people take the day off and get necessary training. Many agencies across the U.S. have moved to 12-hour shifts. They don't do this to keep their people happy. No, they did it because they were running out of staffing. Years ago, the 10-hour shift was one of the most common shifts in law enforcement. It provided for maximum coverage of your city as well as overlap time so you could provide police-specific events and have built-in training time and paperwork time. But to staff a 10-hour shift, you must have enough people to police a 30-hour day. We ran out of those people a long time ago. Now, the 10-hour shift is extremely rare. After the 10-hour shift, we moved to 8-hour shifts. This schedule of days, afternoons, and nights allowed us to keep our people on the streets, but there was no wiggle room built in. Shifts started running with the minimum number of officers to answer calls for service. It got the job done, but left very little room for training. Unfortunately, they kept cutting our manpower. You see, 90% of police budgets are salary. There is very little room for anything else. When the political powers cut police budgets, they cut police staff. The defund police movement didn't start in 2020. It only stopped hiding. Agencies have been fighting against ever-decreasing budgets while calls for service have continued to rise dramatically. And even when those budget numbers have gone up, they are not meeting the same demands that the city has on their services. As the number of officers went down, agencies still needed to keep officers on the streets. So they moved to the 12-hour shift. Two shifts, each working 12 hours. Now you can cover more with less officers. This didn't just increase the difficulty of giving people time off, but it made it damn near impossible. So departments can't train because they can't give anyone time off to train. Manpower is tied closely to funding because the lack of police funding has helped cause the manpower shortage. But funding affects training in other ways. First and foremost, training isn't cheap. The types of training officers can receive once they're on the job is impressive in its detail and breadth. Things like patrol tactics, drug interdiction, strategies and tactics of patrol stops, de-escalation, communication skills, firearms, physical control tactics, emergency vehicle operations, first aid, CPR, the list goes on and on. Agencies will have to pay to send their officers to these courses or pay to have one of their officers trained enough to become an expert in the field and train other officers. The instructors that teach these classes have years of experience and training to share with their students, and to get that, you have to pay for it. Typical law enforcement courses can run anywhere from hundreds to thousands of dollars depending on the specific topic and the length. 
And that doesn't even cover the specialty courses. Specialty courses like SWAT, polygraph, criminal investigations, interview and interrogation, and train-the-trainer courses can double or triple those costs. I've already pointed out that police salaries cover approximately 90% of police budgets. The rest of those budgets have to cover things like police cars, building expenses, and major equipment costs like radios, tasers, body cameras, and guns. Typically, the smallest line item on any police budget is training. And in police circles, we all know that the first thing to get cut at a police department is training. When your administration is backed into a corner, they can struggle to understand the necessity for the training. Out of money and manpower, they will often say things like, we don't really need that, and we will just have to push that off until next year. Of course, there is my personal favorite. Now, let's just teach that in-house. What they mean by that is just find one of the officers on the department that does a pretty good job and have them teach it. It's not that big a deal. In-house training is extremely common in all agencies across the country, but you have to ask yourself, is it any good? Well, it might be. If the officer tasked with teaching the topic has the knowledge and experience, then it might work. But usually their knowledge and experience is based solely on their work in this one little section of the country. Without getting out and seeing what's going on across the U.S., you start finding your training being very shallow and not terribly useful. Without having your skills vetted either by other experts or by having it reinforced through broad usage, the training becomes incestuous. That's never a good thing. But departments are still training. Many states require in-service training hours, and of course, those specialty courses need to be addressed. The classes you can't find one of your own officers to teach. So how are they managing it? Online training. Online police training has become one of the fastest growing areas in training over the last decade. We started seeing online training become popularized by the federal government. It all started with the Incident Command System. In 1968, the Incident Command System was created to standardize the approach to major emergency events when multiple public safety agencies were involved, specifically to deal with major forest fires in California and Arizona. The Incident Command System grew into the National Incident Management System and became required training for any police and fire departments that wanted to receive federal grant money. Departments all over the U.S. started training in NIMS, and to facilitate this training, the federal government created an online training portal. Students logged in and followed through the video and slide presentations, answering questions along the way to make sure they hadn't fallen asleep or walked out of the room. The relatively quick training could be done on duty, and everyone got trained. It cost money, but it was significantly less than paying for in-person instruction. Lower initial cost, no travel costs, no per diem, and no backfilling for staffing to keep officers on the street. All in all, quick and cheap. We've talked about quick and cheap. Remember, you can have it quick, good, or cheap, but you can only pick two. As usual, we went with quick and cheap. Officers are generally told that they must complete their online training before a specific date. The training will usually last about an hour, so they can find some downtime or a quiet time on the shift to come into the department, sit down behind a computer, and watch the presentation. Except that when given the opportunity, cops can get lazy. As they sit in front of the computer, they won't pay any attention to the presentation. They'll play games on their phone or watch a movie on the other computer in the room. Of course, the quizzes and tests and the presentations are there to ensure that the officer pay attention and learns, except that every other officer in the department has to go through the training. 
so you can usually find all the answers written in the desk drawer or pinned to the bulletin board above the computer. Some of the online training programs won't allow officers to fail, simply asking the questions over and over again until they get them right. Definitely not good. Once agencies saw that they could check a box and say that they'd train their people without having to spend much money or time, they were all in. Today, you can take everything online, and I mean everything. As we come out of the COVID pandemic, we've seen the already growing field of online training explode with dubious results. Now, to be fair, there are some exceptional online training programs, and the interactivity computer programs like Zoom have brought to the training can and do work under limited circumstances. The real issue here is that this is quickly becoming the only training officers are receiving, which misses the most important and best training tool out there. Help your team rise to increasing expectations with Agency 360's cloud-based software. Whether it is for the training of new employees or annual performance evaluations, Agency 360 can help trainers and supervisors streamline documentation, create consistency, and communicate clearly. Help retention by setting the tone and culture early with Agency 360. Learn more at agency360.com. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y 360.com. Scenario-based training. Over the decades, we have learned much about how humans learn and particularly how adults learn. We know that adults resist and resent situations when others impose their will and that adults will take the information given and organize it in a fashion that will help them solve problems. Adults must be part of the learning process. Adults are problem solvers. Adults learn by doing. Scenario-based training is when trainers create a scenario in which actors or role players play the parts in the story and the officers play themselves. This type of training allows for dynamic events that have a wide variety of conclusions. In other words, the students get the outcomes they earn, and learning is based on the student solving the problem. Scenario-based training has been around for a very long time. We used to have officers go into the training room and take a report. In the training room, a role player would be playing an upset citizen who just had their car broken into at the mall. The officer would have to conduct an interview and get all of the information necessary to complete a case report. The role player would bring emotion into the call and challenge the officer to not just ask the right questions, but to deal with the emotional issues as well. Scenario training worked well, primarily because it took into account the sensory stimulus theory of learning. The sensory stimulus theory of learning says that the more senses brought into the learning environment, the better the learning. Scenario training uses all of the senses and makes it the best type of training that officers can get. Scenario training really came to its own with the advent of simunitions. In the 1980s, General Dynamics Ordnance and Tactical Systems identified a need to improve police and military training. They created a low-velocity, non-lethal marking round that could be fired from the officer's weapon, allowing for realistic force-on-force scenarios. This was a game-changer. As I said, we've been doing scenario training for a long time, but we always ran into one serious roadblock, use of deadly force. If a scenario got to the point where an officer would likely draw his weapon or even shoot it, we had to stop the scenario. This creates a disconnect in the learning, so we just didn't run any scenarios that might result in deadly force. That is a big gap in the necessary training for an officer. 
With the advent of simunitions, we were able to run full scenarios where anything was possible. This turned the realism up and dramatically improved the training. While my department was suffering through all the FATCH training I described at the beginning of the episode, Simunitions was traveling the country and selling their product. I was attending a firearms school at the local academy when they stopped by for a demonstration. As I sat in the classroom and listened to what the product was supposed to do, I started to get excited. If this worked, it could be the answer to our training problem. When they asked for volunteers to go through the training, I was the first to raise my hand. An officer named Chris, who worked at a nearby agency, also raised his hand. I knew of Chris, but I had never really met him before this class. And as we were suiting up for the scenario, I told him that I was going to treat this like it was real. I needed to know if this would work, so I wasn't going to play around, and I was going to respond just like I would on the street. Chris said, that's cool. The scenario was a tenant-landlord dispute, and to this day, I couldn't tell you where the gun came from. It just appeared in front of me, in the role player's hand. I remember yelling, gun, shoving the role player, and scrambling backwards trying to get my gun out. And that's when I heard it, the soft pop, 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 coming from Chris's simunition gun. He was my cover officer. I had forgot that he was there, and he was smoking the bad guy. I love Chris. I specifically remember the adrenaline, the emotion, and the feeling that I had actually just been involved in a deadly force encounter, even though it was a scenario, even though it was training. That is the power of a well-run scenario. It can give the students an experience in a safe environment, and it can maximize learning. Scenario-based training is the best type of training out there, and it should dominate all the initial and in-service training officers receive. But it doesn't. Why not? Well, we're right back to our two biggest problems with training, manpower and money. To run a proper scenario-based training program requires a lot of manpower. You're going to need an instructor, a safety officer, an evaluator, and a role player for even the most basic scenario. And I'm not even counting the student yet. That's four officers to run it and one officer to go through the training. Ultimately, this will require five officers to be off the street for an hour to complete the training. Now, cycle your entire department through it and you can see how quickly administrators will balk at the training. This typically costs overtime money to either pay for the instructors and students to train instead of working the streets or to backfill manpower so that we can cover the streets while training is taking place. Another expense is the cost of the gear for training and the instructors to teach the training. Scenario-based training has a lot of moving parts and you shouldn't attempt this without specific training to ensure that the topics are being covered and that the training is safe. That means you're going to have to pay the money to send some of your people to a scenario-based training school. Simunitions has an excellent course. It runs three days and costs a little over 600 bucks. And of course, the gear necessary to safely run scenario-based training can get expensive fast. There we are with manpower and money again. Police reform should be about priorities. Training isn't a priority for agencies, but it should be. We see time and time again officers' actions and civilian complaints could have been avoided if the officer had the proper training to do the job. Whether training is handled in-house and on duty, or you send some of your officers out to receive the best possible training, we need to do more of it. But how do we find the manpower and the money by getting our priorities straight? I get frustrated with agencies that say, we can't do that. Chief, we need to qualify more than twice a year. We can't do that. Sheriff, we need to have less lethal training for our officers. We can't do that. Sir, our guys haven't had any de-escalation training. We need to add that this year. We can't do that. 
The response isn't, we can't do that. The reality is, we won't do that. When a chief or sheriff is hit up by an important person in the community, such as a mayor or a big donor, and that person wants a police car to sit outside of their house overnight because they're feeling scared, what do you think the response is? Do you think they say, we can't do that? No, they do not. No matter how short-staffed the department is or how many problems this detail will cause, there will be a car in front of the VIP's house overnight because that is a priority. You see, departments have no problem making things a priority and ensuring that they get done. They just don't want to make training a priority. Politicians don't want to make training a priority. Civilians don't want to make training a priority. Real police reform would be to prioritize the things that make our officers better at their job. Real police reform would focus on the things that would allow our officers to get the necessary training. We have to make real police reform a priority. And that's the story we have to tell. Thank you for joining. As always, I'm curious what questions you're getting asked. What isn't the news covering? What story needs to be told? Connect with me at bluecanarypodcast at gmail.com. 